friends, new listeners, fellow turd glitterers. I hope you're feeling good today and I'm so grateful you're tuning in to another turd chat. If you're new here, I'd be really, really grateful if you started following this podcast so you never miss a future episode. Also, feel free to rate the podcast and share it with all your people. Anyway, I'm so happy to share today's conversation with you. I listened back to it with such a grin on my face and I hope that your face will be doing a similar thing. My guest uh, today is Gabby Roslin, a national treasure and someone I've had the privilege to know since pretty much the start of my fun adventure with cancer. Gabby really knows a thing or two about joy and being positive and not in a toxic way at all, in, in a really pure and authentic way. As you will hear in the chat, her turd taught her such a valuable lesson that I hadn't actually ever heard anyone say before and I'm really glad you get to hear it now too. I'm about to head to a chemo appointment and honestly I think I will have a better day in hospital because of Gabby. Anyway, I'm going to now make myself a packed lunch because it's my favourite thing to do for hospital appointments and I will let you listen to today's chat. I'll see you on the other side. Today I have the absolute joy of speaking to broadcaster, radio host, podcast host, national legend, Gabby Roslin. I mean, Gabby's been in my life for, I mean, since I was a child, you've been probably in the life of so many since they were children. But I, you know, I grew up in Germany, but when I used to come to England to visit, I'd always watch The Big Breakfast. Like that was part of my, what Britain was to me, The Big Breakfast. So you've been in my life since then. And then obviously we've been closer than that since my diagnosis and we've got to know each other better since then. But like, yeah, you have been in my life basically my entire life. And I'm only 33, which is what I tell everybody because I, I'm, everyone's so obsessed with age in this country. They're so obsessed. Mm. So whenever I get interviewed by any press, I always say, I'm 33. Could you write I'm 33? And they go, ha, 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 what? You've been, uh, you've been in television and radio for 35 years. I said, yeah, minus two. I came out my mom, literally, and I went, hello, good morning. Welcome to the show, when my mother screamed. <laughs> um, but, but they always know they want to write your actual age. But I don't only feel 33. I've decided that's where I'm going to stick. 33 is actually a good age. I remember 33. 33 was fun. Fair enough. I, it, do you know what? I'm going to tell Neil in the podcast notes... Uh, of this episode uh, that you're 33 um, and therefore it's fact um. <laughs> I don't, actually I don't have a problem I don't have a problem with my age I really don't but no. it's just so funny how everybody else is obsessed with age actually let's talk about that at some point during this chat as well because I think that's quite an interesting thing and I think totally comes across from you like for me and you've said it in quite a few interviews and you know, you're you're one for proclaiming that you feel young, and you are young, and you're almost you are childlike. You are childlike, and that's never left you. Maybe that'll come up. But I, I first first off, I just want you to introduce your turd, if that's okay. Um, okay, so I am I'm very lucky that you know thinking about mm. the real crap, it would probably be the death of my mum. That was the real turd in my life that was the real crap in my life um uh, she died 20 almost 26 years ago 
of cancer mm. at the same time that dad had cancer. So dad had just had uh, bowel cancer and had his operation. He caught C. diff in hospital and had a stroke. So we had all of that. At the same time, my mum uh, had lung cancer. And the day that my dad got his all clear because there were problems after his operation uh, where his wound opened up and then he got another infection. And when he got the all clear of all of that, that's the day that mum died. So that was a pretty crap time. And when I talk about it now, it feels like I'm talking about somebody else. It's really, I know that it was our family and I know that's what we all dealt with, but it's been, I mean, it's been something really um, important in my life, not obviously because of the death of my mum. She was relatively young um, and not only because of uh, my father's cancer, but it then made me then for, for the past 26 years, I've researched and studied health, nutrition, fitness, all of that, because I just wanted to learn more about it. So that's been, I mean, I, I, do, I would have always considered myself a pretty healthy person, but um, I've learned a lot. I've learned a huge amount in that time. Mm-hmm. I guess some people might look at that and kind of go, was that out of fear because you were scared that you were going to get cancer yourself? Because, you know, both, both your parents having it is so unlucky, but as you and I both know, cancer is so common. Um, or or is that because you just thought, no, I, I need to understand what health is and wellness and and I want to I think it was probably a, it was a bit of both. I just... I um I just wanted to know to find out more because I'm I'm somebody who loves learning new things and at the age I am I think you can never stop learning so I wanted to learn more and and that's why I I put my name to as many cancer charities as possible because what I've learned is not only is it just about the, the patient it's about the family and money has to be raised for research the money we need we need more research going into all forms of cancer you know it's too common it's just too common and everybody we all need to do more and what's you know what is remarkable in the year since my grandfather died of cancer and he died of cancer in the 80s but nobody even said the word he died of and it was whispered then Nobody would talk about breast cancer. When dad had bowel cancer, we went on to a news program because my dad was a broadcaster um, as well. And he wanted to get the message out there to everybody. If you spot any blood in your poo, please go to the doctor. And so he was trying to get the message out there and we were doing interviews together. This is absolutely true. And we did an interview with a news program on one of the terrestrial TVs, one of the main news programs. They were doing something about bowel cancer and Prince Charles, when he was a prince, Prince Charles was there as well. And they were interviewing my father and they were interviewing me. And dad said, if you find blood in your poo, and the guy said, can you not say poo? So dad said, okay. If you go to the loo and you find blood in your feces, and they went, can you not, can you find another word? So my father's Okay. Uh, then they said, can you, and then he said, you know, if you wipe your bottom and they said, can you not say bottom? And so in the end, my dad just looked at them and he said, if you find blood in your shit, when you wipe your butt, 
do something. And they said, well, we can't use that. And he said, I'm just trying to get the message across. And then our lovely friend, Deborah, you know, this sadly only died a few months ago, um, but she got the message across. So actually I'm um, in those 26 years since dad was diagnosed, look at the difference. So I want to look at the, the bright side of that as well. Well, yeah, you have seen that huge difference. You have seen a, a turn in the tides of awareness and education and what, how we talk about it. But how old were you when your mother died? So my, I was 32 and uh, mum was 62. And you hadn't had your girls by then yet, had you? No, so I hadn't had my daughters. I lo- I'm very pleased that she had seen my uh, career and... Um, she'd seen the beginning of my career, of course, um, and was was very blasé. She just, you know, it was no woohoo. My parents always told me to follow my dreams and to do what that I knew I wanted to be on telly from the age of three. And they used to go, follow your dreams. Don't hurt anybody in the process, but follow your dreams. And she never, you know, I'd come back from work and she'd sort of say, how was work? She wouldn't go, oh, you met Sean Connery, you know, I don't know why Sean Connery came to my mind, but you know what I mean? She wouldn't, you know, it was like, that was a job. You're going off, that's the job you wanted to do, go and earn money doing it sort of thing. So that was cool. But yeah, she didn't meet my daughters, but uh, she always said when I was growing up, she said, right, I'm going to be the sort of granny who uh, takes the children every week so you and your husband can have sex. Oh, okay, mom. (gasps) I'm only a teenager. Can you not talk about that? Well, that was what my mom was like. (laughs) And are you like that with your girls? Uh, well, actually, we're much more open. These days, everybody's more open about all of that. So I would probably say that and they'd probably, actually, they'd probably go, Mom, uh, I'm very good at embarrassing them. But uh, yeah, no, my, my girls are, are good girls. And then we talk about granny as if, though she would have been their granny. So we talk about her that way. We always have done. They never met her but they hear about her through me and through my dad. I mean, that's how people live on, don't they? You have to keep talking about them and remembering things. And I think that must be quite special as well at times. But I think 32, yeah, such a young age. And, you know, you haven't really figured anything out about life, I don't think. And at some point in my 20s, I think I was supposed to know what life was all about, but I don't know yet. And then you hit your 30s and you still don't. But that is a young age to have something like that happen. And I wonder how that then, how did that mold your experience and your your relationship with death yourself? Well, I I, I think what one of the sort of instant reactions to it was um, so for because I started in the industry very young. I was very lucky, and um, something very odd that happened was when I started out. I was uh, twenty two. I came straight out of college and I went into a TV show. Um, and, uh, everyone used to say, Oh, you're always so happy. Oh, you're always so jolly. Oh my goodness. Are you always so positive? And I had this sort of natural sort of British reaction. And I'd say, Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes, I am. I'm so sorry. I'm just happy. Yes. I'm so sorry. I'm just positive. Yes. I'm so sorry. I'm so lucky. And, um, when mum died, it was like a instant thing that the next interview I did, I said, uh, they said, so obviously at the moment, you know, you've gone through the death of your mother and your father's had cancer, so you can't be your usual happy self. And I said, I am. I'm happy. I'm happy to be alive. And I'm never apologizing for being happy again. And it kicked in. And 
that it took the apology away. And I don't know why I did it. It was as if every and people still do it to me now. They'll just say, how come you're, you can't always be this happy. I go, no, of course I've had some really horrible things happen. I'm really lucky to be alive. And I've always been somebody who lives it in the moment, even though I didn't know when I was a child, that's what I was doing, but I did. And I'd look forward to, with excitement to, you know, I, I, I used to change into my pajamas after my bath and then secretly get dressed in bed. And my parents used to have to come in. Uh, I'd be playing musical theater loudly in my bedroom, be singing along and they'd come in and go, Gabby, turn the music off and get your pajamas back on. Cause I changed into my clothes for the next day because I was excited to go to wake up the next day to do something. But I find that so interesting. And I, you know, I would also be one of those people that says, you know, Gabby, you know, Gabby, she's, you know, always so happy. And that's how, in fact, in my, um, intro I was also going to describe you as a joy activist I don't know if anyone's called you that before but like I just feel like you almost make it your everyday mission you literally wake up in the morning and go no today has to be joyful today has to be good that how did that happen though do you not wonder like what was it that switched on from a young age or what is it that you keep having to go to in your mind to be positive is it a conscious Uh, thing or not is it literally that automatic I think because I've always been like that, it's pretty automatic. Yeah. But I do have to switch it on sometimes. There, there will be times where I'll think, oh, damn, you know, if it, it's usually to do with work. So if I'm uh, seeing somebody about a show, it will be, I, and, and they'll say, oh, no, we're not going to go with it. I'll be like, no, no, I know it can work. And then I'll go, right, okay. But then there's this. So I'll find the, I'll find the something positive out of it. I suppose... I mean, I was like that as a child. I was desperately, desperately shy as a child, uh, painfully shy. I've always wanted to do a program about shyness and people say, oh no, people won't talk about it. I think they will. I was so shy that my mouth wouldn't open to other young people my age. I could talk to any adult and any adult would talk to me. That's why I ended up being an interviewer. I'd sit on the bus and a complete stranger would sit next to me and say, Oh, my husband's going to leave me. He said he's going to leave me and take all the money and take the children. And I'd be, oh, okay, we'll talk about it. I'd be talking to a complete stranger when I was 11. And so that always happened. So, But I knew I wanted to be on telly. So even though I was this shy person, the minute I got on stage at school and did drama or anything, I was like, this is me. Um, so it, it's interesting that I mean, the shyness comes back every so often. It, I don't think it ever really leaves you. But I was always happy, really, on on the whole. I just, I've always been very positive. My dad was very positive. He still is. He's very elderly now and very old and very frail, but he's still a, a, a positive person. And my mum was more of a realist. She wasn't negative, but she was more of a realist. So I'd be, oh, you know what? I know I can leap over that fence. And my father would say, yes, you can. And my mother would say, I'm sure you can. But just be careful while doing it. I've, I've witnessed firsthand a lot of toxic positivity and people forcing themselves to mm. be positive because they feel like that's, what they, that's how they need to show up in the world um, after something awful has happened. And I think we're very good as Brits at just shoving down feelings and stiff upper lip and all that mm. stuff. And, and then, and, but, you know, I, I just wonder at what point you allow yourself to go oh 
actually life's a bit shit and I'm gonna wallow <laughs> you yeah, know I, well actually I don't I never have really wallowed mm. I, I think I do think life is too short to do that so I've I don't wallow and I've lost I've lost far too many friends I you know I lost a friends of mine um because you know the charity future dreams and I lost the daughter and the mum and they were only a year apart and they died and I lost a, another beautiful friend of mine uh Rachel she was only 40 and just my husband lost his best friend before we got married um and and he was very young and full of full of life I know that's crazy but he really was you know single-handedly row the world and build orphanages and he just dropped down dead for one of those instant heart attacks and I just appreciate life I do want to live forever I you know I am and I had a granny like that um she was the first female MP in uh Zimbabwe as was Rhodesia then but and she fought for a multiracial society and she fought to get rid of Ian Smith and she was an amazing fighter an amazing woman and she just thought there was good in everybody and was one of those positive people. So growing up around that, it's sort of there. Yeah, brushed off on you. So, you know, you've been in the limelight, you've been in telly, you've been in broadcasting for such a long time. And also um, at the mercy of what the British public think of you for so long too. And, you know, we have seen uh, too much pain and hurt and unkindness online and in the media towards people who happen to be in the limelight <laughs> you know and again you, you know because you've seen the change of that and you've seen that for su- you know a, a, a long period of time has that ever impacted like how hard you need to drive to stay positive in that space and 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 make your mark in it or 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 how does that not inf- how does that not impact you well, in the beginning, there wasn't social media like there is now. Mm. Um, mm. And actually, I've never really put myself out there for somebody to shout wanker in the street. But I've been with fellow TV people that they've said it to. And I don't like that. I, I mean, I get I get very upset if anybody is rude about any of my um, co-hosts or anything. But I've never, I, I think people just accept me for what I am. And Nowadays, Instagram I use as a very fun place. My my biggest thing always when I was younger was to I I wanted to do a job that could put a smile on one person's face, and that's how I feel about social media. If I can put a smile on one person's face or share, spread the joy or share charities that I believe in, then that's that's what I use it for. And you know, occasionally there'll be somebody go. Oh, you're such an idiot. And the great thing is I just delete and go, you know what? You're not going to affect me. But on the whole, I don't really get that. I think, you know, but people, if they want to follow me on Instagram, they know they're going to see me being stupid. Um, and that's what it's about. And if you, if you want to be rude to me, just don't follow me. I've always said that about television. If you don't like the TV shows, turn it off. If you don't want to listen to my radio shows, turn it off. If you don't want to listen to my podcast, turn it off. It's, it's actually that easy. It, just turn it off. And years ago, I had a horrible time in the press and they were very horrible to me. Years and years and years and years and years ago. And it was the same time that uh, mum and dad uh, had both had cancer. So at the time, the, the press, I didn't let it get to me because there were bigger things going on. And it was also, it was all just really nasty. It was from nowhere. It was because I was a successful woman. Um, 
And I remember meeting a journalist who had written this horrible thing. And, um, and I just said to her very nicely, I said, oh, well, what a pleasure to meet you, but can I ask you why you wrote that about me? And she said, cause you're a woman and you were doing really well. I went, oh, okay. And then it stopped. So nice. yeah, they were honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it wonderful sometimes that when something so monumentally awful is happening in in your life, you can put things into perspective better, can't you? When yeah. when the turd of a, a, a cancer diagnosis or or the death of your mum goes, do you know what? You can't touch me. You cannot touch me because yeah, I, this awful thing has happened, and you are making me want to. The the death of my mother is making me want to relish life more. I'm sorry if you heard. What was that? Was that your groan. stomach? It's, it's, no, it's. A dog, um, oh. my sister's dog. He has now decided he doesn't want to be in this room, so I need to let him out. Um, yes, you're being needy. Um, yeah, but it is. It, it does help put things into perspective. And do you think because of something like that happening in your early thirties, before you were a mother yourself, before you know life gets even more serious? It helped you to focus better on what matters. Without a doubt. And then, um, so my mum died in 97. And then my father's mother, the granny I was talking about, she died in 99. And she was absolutely just worshipped and adored by the whole family. But I completely worshipped and adored her. And she was so, she, we actually went to the same school. Not at the same time, because that would be weird. But um, we, she, she was just everything to me I really looked up to her so when she died as well I just thought god life is so precious and I've always sort of I think I was born older than I was and I think I think I was probably born at 33 and I that's why I've stayed at 33 I sort of caught up with myself and then um and then I'm not leaving that age so I think that's probably where I was meant always meant to be (laughs) You think you were born at 33, your mum died at 32. So it's almost like a birth after that, that trauma, almost? Yeah, maybe, maybe. I just, I've, I, um, I feel that, that I was always older than my years, but I was always very childlike. So I sort of understood things that some children didn't get. Like I said, people would tell me stuff in the street and, and I understood it and I would... I'd I'd be able to explain things to people on a social level that that people go, how do you know that? I go, well, I don't know. I just that woman who told me about her husband or whatever. Um, and but also I was always the person. I was saying this to my husband the other day that I don't have a competitive bone in my body, and that when I used to play things like tennis. I played it to fall over the net to make everybody laugh. There was no, if I got a ball in, in the court, I'd be then, I think, oh no, bite. Now what can I do to make somebody laugh? So I'd run into the fence or I'd trip up. Or at school, if there was a, you know, wheelie bins, those big wheelie bins that they used to have at school, the really big ones, I'd always do some comedy fall into a wheelie bin. You know, anything to keep everybody amused so that the, the, childlike thing in me the inner child was always there and and yet there was a sort of knowledge of of life as well I so life is too short not to act the fool and if also if I can teach anything to my kids I do the same as my parents follow your dreams don't hurt anybody and always always be able to laugh at yourself 
Never take yourself seriously. It's, it's, I, I find it so fascinating, though, that you think you want to live forever and you think you are going to live forever, even though you have witnessed such a monumental person dying. But you, you know that life is final, yet you think you're going to live oh, forever. Oh, absolutely. Do you I find do. that interesting? Uh, but, yes, but also, I, even when I go, I'm going to still be here. Hmm. So I've, I do believe is you, in... Is that what you believe? An energy, uh, you know, I do... I, I, without a doubt, I've always felt that. So, mm. yeah, I'm, I, I'll, I'll haunt my daughters. This, I'll be like, <laughs> hello! I, use, I wake them up with musical theatre songs, so I go and sit on them. When my, when my elder daughter went to university, she said, Mum, when I come back from university, you're not going to do this anymore. I'm like, of course I am. Uh, and I do from time to time. Yeah. Oh my God. I love that. I love talking about death and I, and not, you know, not because I'm, I, I want to bring it on only because I'm f- so fascinated by, um, just how fragile life can be and how quickly it can be over. And my fascination lies in how people make the most of it now, but also how they perceive death and what that really means for them. And, so often, obviously, it can go either one or two ways, can't it? When someone has been surrounded by so much death, they fear death. They don't want to think about death. And, and it's such an unhealthy relationship, I think, to have with death because it, it doesn't need to be as scary as a lot of people think it is. But equally, if it can make us cherish life more, then it's it's... It's a good thing to focus on and it's a good thing to talk about more often. Yeah, I agree um, with you. And I, don't, I think people are fearful to talk about it. Um, mm. And I know, I, I think the reason I, I always say I don't want to die and I want to live forever. I want to live till I'm 99, which is three times 33. I've got it all sorted. But, but, I, but I've always said that. And I think it's because I love, I enjoy life so much. I think if I got to the stage where I didn't enjoy life, um, I'd may feel differently but right now I'm not fearful of dying I just don't want to miss out because I'm very nosy so I want to know what's going on but I think you know talking about death is something really important I mean you've had to face it from such a young age and talking about it and hearing about it and always wondering about a clock and I suppose that's the difference that you've had to face a clock all the time and we have a clock on us, but we're not as aware of that clock, whereas you are. And that clock, we all have it, but we sort of, it can pass us by because we get through another day and we go, okay, on to tomorrow. But, you know, it's, it is all ticking away for all of us. And it's how we make, I mean, what you've done with knowing there's a clock You've done the most extraordinary things, but that mustn't make somebody who just who has done what they perceive as less, which it isn't, because everybody lives, and it's so there's no less or more. I don't want them to think because Chris has done all these incredible things in her lifetime and started a charity and podcast and written books and and been a mouthpiece for so many people and lived each moment. Um, and moved and all the things you've done. I don't need to lead the list of things you've done because you are phenomenal. I don't want anybody to then think, oh, I'm not making... The fact that somebody wakes up and breathes 
they've done something. Do you know? Do you? And I feel I, I. It's important. I, I think, but you know, the the clock thing. It is there for all of us, and we can all live in fear of it, or we can watch it ticking away, or we can just have it on our wrist and be a part of our lives. Mm-hmm. No, I one hundred percent agree with that, and I I think if you can wake up and feel content then all of the other shit does not matter. Like, I am happy knowing that I've done all those things, but I, I, I'd like to think that I'd be happy if I hadn't. But it's not. Ha- I, it's taken a lot of time to me, for me to realise that and get to this place of, go, you know, thinking, you know, I'm so content. I don't need more. And I think if, you, if that, that's a place of real comfort for anyone that's living with that very loud clock or not so loud clock is knowing that you're not constantly hoping that that other thing's going to happen before you die because to me that kind of pressure is scary I I fear the pressure of needing to do more before you die and I think you are living in a great space of today is joyful I'm having fun then really you shouldn't need more but obviously it's, it's you know, we all want to live more and we want to yeah, feel but, all the good things of life as long as possible. But people are greedy. I really, really, mm. I mean, I've, I've talked about it very often in interviews, so apologies for, for bringing it up again, but I'm, I I really loathe, there's like, if there's anything I could choose that I really loathe, oh, well, God, there's a few things. Um, uh, people who are bigots, let's put them at the top of the list for, for mm. any reason, whether it's colour, religion, uh sexuality any of that i loathe those people but the other thing i really loathe is greed and i think everybody always wants more 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 they but also not that they just want more friends they want more more of everything and i just i think that's very toxic the greed that we live in today i mean we see it the narcissists the, the narcissists who are in charge around the world and they want more and they want to prove it's I, I really loathe greed and from what you just said it's being content with what we've got and there are a lot of people who have nothing and you know I do I am aware though that I, I that it's very easy for me to wake up I've got uh I've got heating I've got a roof over our heads I've got two daughters I've got a husband that it's very easy for me to say way I feel joyful what I don't, what I hope doesn't come across is, well, hey, I feel joyful and I don't care about you. It's got to be, well, hey, I feel joyful. Come on, let's spread it. Let's all try, no matter what we're all coping with, because everybody has their story. Um, and I think that's important. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what you can even sometimes trick your mind into thinking, even if you're feeling really desperately not happy, but it's amazing what your facial muscles can tell your brain. Um can you sum up the glitter for me? Because, you know, we talk about the turd, which was your mum passing away of from cancer and your dad going through cancer. But what what is the glitter here? Because in a way, I kind of see like, well, the glitter was automatically there anyway. It didn't have to come from that turd and you're joyful and all the rest of it. But what? how would you describe the glitter from your turd? The, the not apologizing for mm. being happy. That we it, it was it was eye opening. It was uh, it, it was enormous, and I, I sort of say it in a flippant way now. But it was enormous, actually, 
not apologizing for the first time in my life mm. about being happy and realizing how utterly ridiculous it was that anybody had the gall or the nerve to say, oh, you're not really that. What the, I, I would never say that to somebody. And I suppose because yeah. I had it so automatically for 10 years, every single press interview that I just, I learned the reaction to be, I'm so sorry. And I never thought about how extraordinary their question was, let alone how sad my answer was. So that was the big, that was the, the moment. And it is pretty life-changing mm -hmm. to realize you don't have to apologize for being happy. Thank you. Um, and then can you also share the one lesson that you think you've learned? I mean, I think it's probably going to follow on from what you've just said, but one thing that you'd want to pass on from your turd or the glittering of it. You, actually, funnily enough, it's not anything that we talked about, but anyone who's going through the same thing with family, I now say you've got to take some moments for you because um, I didn't, and I, I, I was working full time. I had mum in one hospital and dad in another. So my day would start um, phoning the hospitals to see over, how they'd been overnight. I'd then go to um, uh, mum's hosp hospital, then dad's hospital, into work, then to dad's hospital, mum's hospital, home. I didn't get home till very late at night. And then I'd call the hospitals to see how they were doing at night. And then I'd go to sleep and I'd wake up again. And I, and it was, I didn't really, I, I thought it would be selfish for me to have any me time. And that's what I've learned since. So, and that's what I pass on to anyone who's going through it. And anyone who is also, I've got a, a beautiful friend of mine who's now undergoing uh, chemo. She's only recently diagnosed with uh, breast cancer. And um, I joined her in uh, having her chemo. And and I said, so you've, she said, oh, I want to go shopping. So, but it feels so silly to go shopping because she's on steroids and she's, um, put, she's, she's larger than she was and she has her turban. And, and I said, do you want to go shopping? She said, yeah, but it feels, but then go shopping. And she went, oh, I can. I went, you can. And it's actually... It's that little thing that whatever you're dealing with, whether it's going shopping, whether it's going for a swim, whether it's lying on your bed for 20 minutes and scrolling through TikTok, whatever it is, do something that's that you want to do that's for you. Whether it, you're lucky enough to be able to afford to go for a massage if you can, uh, if you're healthy, if you're allowed to, do it. If you if you want to sort through your clothes because it's your time and you want to switch off your phone do it. And I think that's a, a massive learning learning curve that mm. I learned the hard way because I didn't do that for a year. Yeah. Just, just take time for yourself and don't feel guilty about it. Just do it. Yes. Yeah. Guilt-free time for yourself. So if, of, of all the things you could have done, what would you have given yourself permission to do after she died? Go uh, no, it was whilst they were ill. This is the time. This is when I learned that okay, was okay. whilst they right. were ill, and yeah. then looking back on it, what would I've done? Mm. I would have gone. To, I love working out, and um, mm. I, I love doing that. And I found ways to do it now. Sit so with through COVID, doing it at home. I didn't realize it was so much easier because you don't have the the schlep backwards and forwards from a gym and everything. Although I do love a gym, I wish I'd done that 
That's what I wish I'd done. And I wish I, now I wish I'd known how good walking made me feel because it's life changing. So, uh, but I didn't, this is only past five years. So, um, yeah, I would have, I would have worked out, but I thought it wasn't fair if I did that because I should be with them. I would never have gone to the gym in the morning because no, I should be at the hospital, but actually it probably would have done me a world. Actually it would have not probably, it would have done me a world of good. So that's what I would have given myself permission to do. Yeah. And would have done you a world of good. And then obviously that has a knock on effect on who you can be yeah. for these people too. Yeah. And that people who need you. So your dad got the all clear on the day that your mum died. Was were they together when she died? Uh no, because dad was then out of hospital. Mum was in hospital. She'd we were told uh in the January how long she had to live. And she said she her and dad, when they both were ill in different hospitals, had said they didn't want to know if if a doctor said they've got any length of time to live. And uh, the, so the doctor called us and told us that mum had up to six months to live and six weeks later she died. And um, so when they they weren't, she wasn't at home, she was in hospital. Uh, she was very strong, my mum, very, very strong. And um, she died in the morning. She didn't want any of us there. I know, I you know, she was the sort of person where, no, nope, no, nope, thank you. And they tried to put the oxygen mask on. She went, nope, that's it. And her time, but she also... Wow knew I think she knew that she didn't have to look after dad anymore because he was now got the all clear it was it's it was extraordinary she was that sort of woman um uh so they dad was at home uh and mum was in the hospital so he was back home then um what do you want to know if they knew for certain when you're going to die what do you want to know I've been asked that so many times really I don't yeah because because I've talked about that my parents didn't want to know. Mm. Mm, yeah. um, would I want to know? No, I think no, because I want to live each day in a really appreciate my, my my dad's sister. I'm very close to my aunt, very very close to my aunt. She's always lived for the day, always. And I, I do as well. And we had this conversation only recently. She's in her 80s as well. And um, she said, no, I still wake up every day and think, right, today's today. Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow might never happen. So I'm going to make the most of today. I hope I do that. But I always think you already, yeah, I think you already kind of live like today's your last day. So it doesn't really matter, does it? I know, I know you obviously, you're going to live to 99, but um, <laughs> I, I, it's almost like you don't need to know almost. I do, I do you know, it's, a, it's and, I'm, and I know people have asked you that, God, number of times. And you've, you know, as, as with Deborah, you know, Deborah was told she had only a few months and she carried on and she carried on and she carried on. And, and I, I, I think, I also think that changing the way people, uh, talk about I, I hate the word terminal. I think it's all that's just horrible. Um, life, you know, I, what, however anybody deals with it. But I also think there shouldn't be rules. Uh, I think there's a lot of we're talking. Lots of people ask me about grieving, and they say, "Oh God, how come I don't feel better after two years? Or how come I don't feel better after three weeks? Or how come I I can laugh after six months?" 
And there's no rule book. There's no way that you can or can't do it. There's no way that you should or shouldn't do it. And I think it's the same with um, that clock. So I think there's no rules. If you want to know, then ask. If you don't want to know, then don't don't ask. That's a that sounds like a cop out, but I <laughs> I hope it answers your question. Yeah, no, but I think so often people don't they don't really know for sure. So it's a tricky one. How do you feel about that? Well, it feels I love asking people who aren't you know, haven't been given a diagnosis like cancer because I'm so intrigued to know about this idea of like, well, do you need to have that clock or do you not? Like what, and and why do you feel that way? Whereas I think a lot of people ask me that question of, do you know when you're going to die? Do they ask you that that bluntly? Well, they say, what's your prognosis, which is another way of asking it, but using terminology that makes it less scary I suppose but I hate that word I hate the word prognosis but I think so often people ask that question because they want to hear something positive they want me to then say oh no my prognosis was really good I'm going to be fine because people are holding on to that piece of news and and they've never really actually considered that I'm going to say it's not good or I don't know because we don't ever consider that we don't ever really consider if someone has is aware of their death when they're going to die or we just don't have those conversations unless it's someone who's been given a quote unquote terminal diagnosis or not but I wish we would have these conversations more I really do I think they're fascinating um right uh one thing my next question is one thing that has helped you to glitter your turd my job I love my job I love it I possibly more than I ever knew I would. And I always knew I would. Um, It's all I wanted to do, like I always say, since the age of three. And it wasn't about fame. I didn't know. I didn't know what that was. I just, I knew I wanted to to make television because that way I could make people happy because television made me happy. And so it just made sense for me. And um, I, I loved, I was obsessed with Blue Peter as a child and I went along and watched Blue Peter being filmed and uh, I knew, I just knew. And then Saturday morning telly started and I was very young and I just went, that's what I want to do. Um, so when I did do Saturday morning telly, I did a show called Motormouth for years, uh, for three years. Um, that was a bit mind-blowing. I remember being... Um, the new girl on Motormouth and we were on a coach with new kids on the block and Kylie Minogue and me and the coach drove into the studio and in my ear I could hear uh, we're going live in 10, 9 and I honestly there was this bit when I went and I've been I've been making television for two years before that doing kids telly but I just thought this is everything I ever wanted and it was extraordinary and I still I love it so much. So that's what made, yeah, I love doing my job and work is so important to me. And, um, I'm, and that is something that I learned in lockdown was everyone used to say, Oh, you're addicted to your, to your work. Oh, you're obsessed with your work. It's like a drug. And it just became things that I always used to say, Nope, it's not the case. I actually love it. It's that simple. I love, I love my job. So yeah, that's what 
that's what gives me glitter and sequins and everything. It's so great that, you know, you don't have to apologize for that either. But I think so many people are just surprised that someone could possibly love their job that much. <laughs> and it, I mean, it's, but why? Why are we surprised by that? Why, why is it not okay? Why do we have to challenge when someone is saying, I am happy doing what I do with my life? Yeah, yeah. But a lot of people don't like their jobs. But... No, that's very true. Um, okay, this has been so great. I uh, At the end of this chat, uh, we now get to listen to uh, another person who's glittered their turd, one of our listeners, and this person is called Amy. So let's see what they have to say about their turd. Hi, Chris. My name's Amy. Even though I absolutely hate voice noting, I thought I'll be brave and send you one. My particular turd is in 2016, my dad was diagnosed with aggressive brain cancer. To cut a long story short, ended up in a coma that he ultimately didn't wake up from. And it was actually such a weirdly nice and together time. I've got two brothers. One brother was working, had been working in China for six years and he came back to spend time with us. We spent a lot of time sitting around my dad and just like eating really nice food because we could and not going to work and just kind of enjoying ourselves and just catching up on loads of things but um there was one particular night that i just remember so fondly which was where the three of us just played this stupid game where we tried to think of every single person that we could think of who was named after a food oh my god it went on for ages there were so many people who are named after foods and it made me so happy because i think my dad was just probably there listening to us thinking oh okay these guys are going to be all right and i'm sure absolutely pissing himself along with us so that is my glittering a turd story luckily i haven't had too many turds since then so that is good Wow. Love that. I love that. That's that's so great. I mean, I'm now well, I'm not currently trying to think of like names of people who so names food. Yeah, food. Like what? And the only literally the only food I can think of that is stuck in my head is spaghetti. Is anyone called spaghetti? No. No, weirdly, uh, I thought about salmon because I know somebody who's in television oh, with the yeah. surname Salmon. So there we go. Um, but I love that. And I love that she didn't apologise as well for it. I think that's so great. And it actually reminds me of, oh, there's something that I, I read the other day on Instagram that um, made me smile a lot. Uh, hang on a minute. This is um, a quote by someone called Lily's Abounded. Maybe that's not even the name. Anyway, I hope death is like being carried to your bedroom when you were a child and fell asleep on the couch during a family party. I hope you can hear the laughter from the next room. And I think that made me think of that and and whether or not her, she knew her dad was conscious or aware of what was happening, but that was that she felt that that was potentially soothing for him to know that his children were having these conversations and that spark this reassurance that life would be okay for them 
That is so nice. That is lovely. And also it's interesting that you mentioned laughter and laughter is such a big part of what I've been talking about. And I, I love that quote. Love that quote. Ah, well, that's a good one. Thank you, Amy. Yes, thank you, Amy. Yeah, the only thing we have left to do now, Gabby, is to um, cheers. If if you have a drink, if not, an imaginary drink with you. I don't drink. I gave up booze four years ago, so, yeah. I mean, it can be any drink. I'm drinking water. I've got a Toy Story mug with my lemongrass and ginger tea. Lush. Usually, it's for everyone else, it's been... Dregs of cold tea or cold coffee. For me, it's always just yesterday's water. So never has to be anything too exciting, but we're just cheersing to your turd and everyone's turd and Amy's turds and um, and laughter. Let's, let's cheers to laughter. Laughter too. and life. To life. And life. Cheers. So I kind of wish you guys had been able to see what my face was doing when Gabby and I recorded that chat. I was smiling a lot because I think it's hard not to when you speak to Gabby. And then I also probably looked like I was concentrating so hard on her words because it's just so brilliant to listen to someone who is so self-aware. When I was prepping my chat with Gabby, I'm not afraid to admit uh, that I was going to be one of those dickheads who needed to understand how someone could be so positive and so full of joy all of the time. Not because I needed an apology, um, it was more because I just struggled to get my head around it. Um, But now I think I do, and I get it. Gabby's default is joy, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I'm so grateful for Gabby's openness and storytelling. I genuinely love the idea of Gabby haunting her daughters after she dies and embarrasses them or makes them laugh. Uh, I also have a feeling that even without her turd, she would know how to relish life. And I think that's pretty cool. Um, finally, I'm, I'm wondering if you can try and put a smile on someone's face today. Right, I'm heading to chemo now with, I think, a bit of a spring in my step. Thanks, Gabby, and thanks, Amy, for sharing your turd glittering stories. And thanks so much to you for listening. Please come back again for more turd chats soon. Bye for now. Bye.